podcast world. What's up, Chad? Back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's episode, again, brought to you by friends. Lynchburg, Tennessee, the one and only, the iconic Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. But we all know that Jack has been there in the good times, the high times, the low times, the sad times, the happy times. I can't tell you how many times I uh, have thought about when I want one, when I can't have one. And when I do have one, sometimes I wish I could have another one. But I'm very responsible. I enjoy it in moderation. I know my guest on the show today enjoys a cold drink once in a while in moderation. He is a busy man. He's been here before. He's an, I don't know how to describe him, an absolute renaissance man, I guess, a big game. Like He's known for the Bone Collector TV show. He works with Michael Waddell and Travis T-Bone Turner. His name is Nick Munt. He's at Nick's, Nick's, what is it on Instagram, Nick? At Nick's Big Game. No, Nick Mutt. It was Nick's big game. It's Nick Mutt now. Nick Mutt. He, they kill a lot of whitetails on there, but this dude is all over the map with mule deer and elk and bison and uh, you name it, moose, and he kills monster, monster stuff. And he's not apologetic about it. He has a ton of compassion and respect for the animals he pursues. He eats big games. He loves taxidermy, the art, the beauty of wildlife. Nick, what is it about the apps, the, the, the addiction or the, the overall feeling that you would explain to somebody? Why do you have to kill them and then have them on your wall? Is it a reminder of a memory? Is it disrespectful? Is taxidermy disrespectful? Like people say rodeo is disrespectful to a bull, even though that bull lives the greatest life in the history of Brahma bulls. Why is taxidermy looked at by some people as why are you putting trophies on a wall of a dead animal? Like you would never put a tr- an animal like a, a pet dog taxidermied on a wall just because he passed away. What is the difference there? I just heard that argument. Well, you don't put your dog up there by your dead ducks when he dies. No, <laughs> but really like what is what is your obsession because you are really open about your 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 obsession and your in your pure love of the art of taxidermy and, and 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 keeping and cherishing these memories that you have in the field is it disrespectful to the animal i don't think so i mean i think i think it you know basically creates that memory of the experience that you had with it um some, some, some are mounted because they're big. Some are mounted because it was a great hunt. Some are mounted because of the people you were with. Um, but I just think that, you know, f- for me personally, I've just been an animal lover my whole life. And, and, uh, there's just always just been always something about the trophy at the end of it. You know, um, I'm not ashamed to say that I, that I am a trophy hunter. You know, I want to shoot a big one when I go somewhere. It's not always about that, but you know, whenever I go somewhere, I want to shoot the biggest animal that I can. Um, sometimes it's, it's about maturity too. If you see a buck that's real old and mature, um, you know, that's, that's, that's trophy quality too, in my mind. Um, but ever since I was a kid, I just have been an animal nut. I love animals. Um, I've had all kinds of pets from lizards and snakes to raccoons and squirrels and deer. And, you know, I just, I just love animals and and my wife's the same way. You know, she's an animal lover too. Um, she hasn't hunted a bunch but she understands hunting and she understands my passion for taxidermy. I've never been into like cars and motorcycles and stuff like that. I've, I, I like, I like taxidermy. So I built this room to, to house all my stuff. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And, um, I soon found out that I wasn't very good at math and I wasn't very good at chemistry and stuff like that. And so 
I then decided that rather than fix animals, I was just going to shoot them. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the ways, one of the ways I got my hands on animals as a kid, you know, I just love wildlife and, and I wanted to touch them. And so I guess, you know, one of the ways I was able to get my hands on them was to, was to shoot them. And so when I grew up in South Dakota, I would go to my grandpa's farm and, uh, he would take me out. Um, every day we'd go down to, to, to a farm. We have about 250 acres there. In, in South Dakota that my, my parent, my mom still owns along with her brothers. And, uh, it's just kind of, it's just kind of pasture, you know, it's, it's no farm ground or anything. It's just kind of pasture. We lease it out for, uh, to, to graze cattle on, but there's a Creek that runs through it. And so I'd always go down there with my grandpa and he would park the truck and he would read a book and I would just walk the Creek with a 22 and I'd basically shoot anything that ran, swam or flew from me. And uh, that's just how I got my passion for hunting. It started started small game, and I got really good at sneaking up on squirrels and rabbits and birds, and shot turtles and frogs in the creek, and you know, honed my shooting skills that way. And uh, I always just loved getting my hands on the animals and feeling them. And um, you know, I guess back in those days, you really didn't do much with them. You know, I would shoot them and check them out. You know, put them in my bag and carry them around for the day. But then at the end of the day, you know threw them away or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, now I like to have the animals on my wall. And so I've been lucky enough to hunt some really cool places. You know, I've been to Russia a couple of times and shot a couple of big brown bears. I've shot, uh, desert bighorn, Rocky mountain bighorn, um, been to Africa three different times and shot some animals and, you know, shot uh, some big mule deer and some big whitetails. And so I just like that memory on my wall. And I think, uh, it's an art piece. It's an art form. And in my early years, um, I just had some taxidermy done. That was just okay, you know, decent taxidermy. But now here in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, I've had some really great taxidermists working on my stuff. And um, I had a guy uh, from Georgia uh, that worked on a lot of my stuff, you know, for about the first, oh, probably 10 years of Bone Collector. Um, a, guy named, a guy named Doug Stevens in Georgia who does, you know, a great job. I did a lot of nice a lot of nice mounts from for me and so now I, i'm working with a, uh, an outfit out of tennessee wilson's wildlife artistry and these guys they're probably the premier taxidermy studio in the southeast and uh, they just take a lot of pride in their work and i mean it's they're not just mounts they're like true art pieces and so uh, you can check out their their stuff on instagram wilson's wildlife artistry and and uh, also nathan wilson taxidermist and um they just take a lot of pride in what they do. And they just, I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful work. It looks alive, lasts for a long time. And I've just been a taxidermy nut my whole life. I just love, I love animals. I love taxidermy. And just to look at each one of the pieces that I have, you know, I reflect on the day that I shot it, how it all went down. And um, each one is a unique and individual piece. And, you know, I just love it. You know, I haven't had a lot of birds mounted, kind of like, you know, you probably have a lot of ducks and stuff mounted. Um, but uh, I have I have um, four or five geese mounted that I shot over the years, and and uh, a couple of turkeys. So, but I really like the big game, you know, horns, whether it's antlers from deer or you know the the antelope species or stuff from Africa. I just love I just love the the big game animals, and and um, we got a couple of big brown bears mounted. So I guess that's that's my passion for taxidermy, just the animals themselves. You know, just love them. When it comes to, when you, you made a statement in there about Wilson's about <clears throat> they last forever, you have a house cleaner come in maybe once a week. You, your wife, I don't know if she does that, if you have maids. Once a week is normal. 
you go into some houses and you see cobwebs coming off the G2 that goes up to the ceiling. And then you have a big, big mess of dust over here on this moose paddle. That's an important part to me of taxidermy because it almost is like, well, I got to get the ladder out. I got to go get a scissor lift. And I like you're sitting in a place right now to where you would probably need a scissor, scissor lift. Nick, congratulations on gr- moving into the Hearst castle. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like how important is maintenance? dusting cleanliness do you hire with wilson's being in tennessee they can't just drive over to south dakota are you in south dakota or minnesota minnesota okay so they can't just drive up to minnesota so are do you take pride in getting up there and cleaning them yourself do you have to have another outfit from that general area come in i know my good friend les nesbitt who was just putting a boone and crockett hall of fame for the super slam all 29 species of north american big game um he was lucky enough to harvest his stone last year at 78 years old and um he's got his sheep and he's got i mean it's his game room's amazing too just like yours is going to be had this big mountain built with all of his sheep full bodied on it and a couple mountain goats full bodied on it and just really really creative habitat come to life stuff to where it's like walking through a museum or yeah. seeing true artwork done are, are you dusting them once a week what, what's the secret in in, in keeping yeah. them for a long time not not probably not that often but try to you know try to keep them clean and keep their eyes nice and shiny and keep the cobwebs off their horns and stuff but you know they don't they don't require a ton of maintenance i usually just kind of wipe them down every once in a while with a with a warm you know wet towel or something just to kind of knock the dust off and keep their hair nice and smooth um but they don't really require a ton of maintenance you know some of the some of the stuff that's higher up a little bit tougher you know get a get a duster and, and dust them off um but they don't require a, a ton of maintenance i think probably the worst thing that you can do for your mounts is have them probably near the kitchen where they're going to get oils and stuff on them you know from from cooking and you know you may not think that you may not think that um bacon grease gets on your gets on your stuff from you know cooking near the kitchen but definitely if you do a lot of cooking that stuff gets into the air and it sticks to the fur and then dirt and dust sticks to it so you know it's a good idea to to keep them as far away from that as you can like you know in this house that we have here, it was an it's 1880s farmhouse. And so it was pretty small. The rooms are kind of small and broken up. So in the old part of the house, we opened it up and opened up kind of the main main level, made the kitchen and the living room and dining room all one, took out all the walls. And so I had my brown bear hanging kind of right in the middle, or, or he was, he's a, he's a standing, he's a 10 footer standing right in the middle wow. of the room. And, um, you know, I could kind of feel his fur after, you know, cooking near him, you know, within 15, 18 feet of him. Um, I can kind of feel his fur is kind of starting to get a little bit sticky. So every once in a while, you know, I just kind of wipe him down and try to keep him as clean as I can. But that's probably the, that's probably the worst thing for your mouths is if you get oils and stuff on them so the dirt sticks to them, you know. Yeah, that's a good point of <clears throat> what gets in the air from cooking. Like you kind of look at the bottom of your hood, you know, when you have a hood and you look at like, man, there's a lot of things that get airborne. Yeah, yeah or the lights so- like above your, you know, the lights above your island if you, you know. Yeah, you can you can really see that it kind of just gets in the air and filters around. So Do you have a flat iron in your kitchen? You know, we just got this new stove, and uh, it's from a company out of Texas called Holman Industries. Man, that thing is just beautiful. It's got a it's got eight burners on it, and then in the middle is a spot where you can put a griddle. Oh man, so good good, we good work. We haven't really used it yet, but it's. I mean, we love to cook. We we spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Uh, my wife's a great cook. She's a she's a phenomenal baker. She makes you know 
cakes and cookies and Nick, you're going to get fat. <laughs> I know that's the problem with what we do too. Cause we're really <laughs> keto, you know, um, I was sick for about five years. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And then I met my wife and I went to doctors all over the country trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I couldn't breathe. You know, I had this conversation earlier. And so she, you know, after going to all these different doctors, the best respiratory clinics in the country, they all just came up with the idea that I had asthma. And so they had me on steroids and inhalers and all this stuff. And my wife said, you know, you just need to go on the keto diet. You need to quit eating um, grains and sugar. And I was like, yeah, well, they didn't tell me that at the doctor, you know, that I just went to for eight days. And she said, well, they just don't, they just don't study diet. You know, they're just not, they're just not versed in, in what the diet can do for your health. And so I took her advice and literally it took about three months for my body to get cleared of all these toxins that I had. And, um, I literally it cured me. I got off all the steroids. Um, really the only time I use an inhaler anymore is when I cheat and eat, you know, a bunch of grain or drink a bunch of beer, um, stuff like that. So, so which is how of, often? Not, not that often anymore. Cause I don't like feeling sick. So I try to stay away from it as much as I can. So but, can you have a so can you have a whiskey? Or is oh that yeah, great? You, can, you know here and there because now that I, now that I don't have that buildup of of those toxins in my body, um, it doesn't affect me as bad as it once did. So now you know what I was getting at is how much cooking we do. We completely changed our diet, so we do a lot of keto meals. You know, don't don't eat a lot of grains, but you know we still love to cook, and so that's kind of what we do now is uh, cook. You know, really healthy, a lot of meat. Um, High fats, high wild, salt, wild meat, wild meat. Yep. It's all we, we really don't buy any beef. We don't really buy some chicken we'll buy, but we eat a lot of, um, buffalo elk mostly and then deer, you know, so a lot of Would that. you prefer elk over buffalo? You know, they're very similar. I think buffalo, buffalo, like the steaks are probably a little bit better, like the sirloin is, is really good. The backstrap's really good and tender, but they, I mean, let's be honest, none of them have a flavor of beef. You know, I hear people saying, people say all the time, Oh, I'd much rather eat elk than beef. And da, da, da. No, there's no comparison. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm sorry. I was caught on camera the other day. Nick Munn of saying that speckle belly goose is now my 100% favorite over. I'm talking just wild game of of all wild game now better than elk backstrap I've, I've never got i've never become a big moose fan and if i cook it now i'm going to sound arrogant here but if i cook it i can make it taste the way that i want it but a lot of people don't do it it's not like cooking a deer and elk in my opinion bison is very good i like bison steaks way more than i like bison ground beef when it's mixed with pork depending on what your content is and your flavor profile there but man right. this freaking speckle belly goose nick you got it you guys need to come out and do an episode on this california spec season with me you kill oh, 10 a day a piece and it is a freaking blast, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because pretty much my whole life, I've just heard people talk about, you know, how goose meat isn't any good. And, you know, the old recipe where you take the goose breast and then you go to like Home Depot and you get one of those cedar, a cedar shingle. And then you put the goose breast on the cedar shingle and then you cook it at 300 degrees for six hours, season it up. And then you then you get it out of the oven, then you throw the goose away and you eat the shingle. You ever hear that? <laughs> all, all, the all the time. I mean, it's, uh, that's, how that's how every duck recipe started my whole life, right? That's how everybody <laughs> told me to do it. And so for me, the way I've always eaten waterfowl, and, I, and I, I think this is the way to do it. I freeze it so it's just barely frozen, so it's stiff. 
And then I slice it real thin into medallions, kind of a cross cut and make it, you know, little quarter inch thin. And then I basically just season it up, sear it on both sides. So it's still real raw in the middle, real pink in the middle, medium rare. And there's nothing better. But the problem is most people with any wild game, they're worried about, they just completely torch it. You know, like, of course, people don't like deer because they don't want to eat it medium rare. So they cook it and it's like eating an old wallet. You know, it's just completely dried out and doesn't have any flavor, no moisture in it. Nothing tastes good like that. You cook beef like that, it tastes like crap. So I think as a rule across the board, people that cook wild game way overcook it because they're worried about it having something, you know, like it's going to have some salmonella or, you know, well, it's wild game. So you got to cook it good. You know, that's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, these specs, man, I pluck every one of them. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a lie. Not everyone, but 90% were full body plucking them, skin and fat on. And I do so many, so much Traegern with them. And I do a lot of the flash frying that you're talking about, a little bit of olive oil. But the skin on and getting a reverse sear on it, once it meets about an internal temperature of about 127, I'll reverse sear it and cinch that skin. Where a lot of people will sear before they cook the inside, which I, I've been taught that that completely kills the flavor of a piece, a piece of meat because it can't breathe through the cooking process because you, you cinch all the cells up and it can't get any of the flavor from the dry rub or whatever. I don't use a lot of wet marinades. I use mainly dry rubs. So um, you, you crispy skin that speck skin at the end and then slice it thin, not in medallions, but just cross, you know, against the grain, Nick. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, like, it's e- it's like eating the best prime rib you've ever eaten. I'm not kidding you. It's yeah, that bomb. I love that. That's, it's that bomb. That's, I want to try that sometime. Yeah, yeah I, I'd love to do it with you guys out here. And I, I, been, I talked to you and Wadi. We need to put together a, a co-branded trip. And all of this stuff you're talking about, the, the taxidermy and the memories and the wild game cooking and the keto diet and living off the land you've been pretty boisterous lately with it coming up you know we're less than 10 days out right now from probably the biggest election of you and i's since it, for for sure since we've been legal age to vote and not not probably for sure for sure right yeah um Wadi has been unbelievably instrumental in this. He was just on TV last night with Foxworthy and Nugent and 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 Keith Mark, who's been unbelievable with Hunt the Vote and Hunter Nation. I've seen your videos with Hunter Nation. We participated in in some strategi- strategizing with them. Why? Why are you so? Why is Nick Munt speaking out the way he is? Why is this so important? Why are you working with Trump Jr.? Um, what is in your mindset right now of why it's so important for you? And I don't, I'm not saying you're getting preachy. I'm not saying you're on a soapbox. I'm doing the same thing. You have a big audience. Why did you feel the, the need to be saying the things you've been saying lately? Well, first of all, I've never been a political person at all. I just have never really been... I've never really been involved in politics. I've never, I've never really cared because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think up to this point that there was, you know, one side or the other benefited me like it does now. Um, I just see, I just see the tide turning so much um, as far as, you know, this whole socialism thing, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And um, I know that, um, a lot of people on the other side are gun control. They want to see, you know, maybe not our guns go away, but they want to put a lot of restrictions on us, which is the start of gun control. Um, and I don't see, um, I don't see their interest in what I believe in, which is 
hunting, fishing, public land, um, use of public land. You know, Donald Trump just made a huge stride in in uh, making a bunch of public land accessible that wasn't ever accessible before. And so I don't see I don't see any of my interests being covered um, in the in the Biden campaign. Um, I know I know Trump is uh, pro life. I believe in that. And I think also, um, you know, just my way of life is, is what I'm the most concerned about and, and, uh, being able to have guns and, and use guns and get, get, uh, people involved in the outdoors is, is huge. And I just don't see, um, Joe Biden ever leaving his basement to even go into the field as a hunter, as a fisherman. And he doesn't have anything that, that, uh, we're fighting for in his best interest in, in my mind. Um, I think those are the main points. And like I said, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a smart political analyst or, or, you know, anything like that. And to be honest with you, you know, I voted for Ross Perot a couple of times um, when he ran years ago. I liked his message. I thought we needed a businessman in office and politicians are just yes people to me. They just, you know, this country wasn't, wasn't uh, intending on people to be in, in office for 47 years. You know, it was meant to be here for a couple and gone. And then a new regime comes in and new people uh, come in. And um, some of these people that have been in, in politics for all for this long, to me, it's a joke. You know, you've got guys like Biden that have been there for all this time. Nancy Pelosi's been in there for years and years. Schumer. I mean, these guys were young when they got in there and they're still in there. And I just don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, and um you know, I'm I'm really kind of ignorant, to be honest with you, when it comes to politics. But I just like Trump and what he stands for. Um, I think the American worker um, has been kind of put by the wayside. A lot of our a lot of our industry, a lot of our manufacturing has gone overseas um, from coal to metal to lumber, you know. And so a lot of these things are coming back. My dad, um, my dad was in the oil business my whole life. He was a landman. So he was out on the front lines, uh, getting oil leases, he'd go out and he would, uh, meet with farmers and ranchers and lease their ground so that the oil companies could go in and drill. And so that's big to me. And so for years and years, we, we, uh, basically, um, counted on other countries to provide us with our oil. Now we're very oil, um, independent in the United States. A lot of our oil is now coming from, from home sources. Um, our metals are coming back, you know, our uh, manufacturing is coming back here. And I just think that's that's something that Donald Trump has, has done really well and um, increased our economy, put a lot of jobs back out there. And when it comes to the Biden group, they're selling us out, man. They're selling us out to China. They're, you know, making deals on the backside for their own interests. And it's just not American. And I just don't. I just don't agree with what they're doing. And there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out that uh, really shows um, how biased the media has been toward uh, the Biden campaign. I mean, they're not they're, you're not even seeing any of this new stuff that's coming out. So I'm just I'm just for Trump all the way. And like I said, you know, I don't I don't claim to be smart politically, um, but I'm just sick. of I'm just sick of uh, your normal politician. That's just a yes man. who has been in there for years and years, taking special interest money. And really not moving the needle for Americans. So I think Donald Trump's done a good job of that. Do I like what he says all the time on Twitter? No, I don't think it's the smartest thing in the world. But I still also think that he's got 
America's best interest in mind. And when it comes to um, him personally, you know, he's not taking a salary. He's donating his salary and he's just working hard. You know, he, he had life by the balls, man. He didn't need to, he didn't need to go and do this. He's doing this for America. He's doing this for the people of America so we can live better and, you know, continue the tradition of being Americans, being the best country in the world. Cause let's face it for a long time, we were, you know, our military is depleted. Countries were taking advantage of us. They owed us money. Um, our manufacturing, you know, was over there. They're stealing our intellectual properties. So our inventions that we're making, they're stealing them and making money on them themselves. And I don't know. I just think that he's, he's, um, righted some of the wrongs, some of the trade deals, you know, here, here several years ago, we just went and gave Iran billions of dollars for what, you know, we, we didn't get anything out of it. And basically we were funding these terrorist groups. And so, you know, all that stuff has gone by the wayside. You don't see ISIS anymore. Um, you know, I just, I just am in, in Trump's corner and I, I think it's the way to go and I'll, and I'll go to bat for him. There's, there's some things that, that I think are easy ones, right? Like what does it take to become a billionaire? Yes, he inherited some money, but I know a lot of inheritance that has gone away in a hurry based on work ethic or wrong judgments and stuff that it were, 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 you know, whether that money was passed down in inheritance or what it was, Trump took it and ran and built an empire. He, you said businessman with Ross Perot. That's what our country needs. This country is, needs to be ran like a fortune 500 company with a CEO, with a CEO mentality that is able to put the right people in place, the right asses and the right seats on the bus to take us to that next level. So what has he done wrong? That's what I always ask myself. What has he said in 2016 that hasn't come true? Unemployment, Afro-American unemployment, Latino unemployment, women unemployment, where, where am I missing? Like, that's what I keep asking myself, Nick is like, what am I missing? Like he, the jobs are there. The income is there. The revenue is there. Free enterprise is there. Small business is there. Entrepreneurial spirit of America is there. Our gun rights are there. Our second amendment, the support of the NRA and what Wayne LaPierre and everybody there is doing in the national rifle association. What, what is he faulting on? Where is, where is he dropping the ball? Is he boisterous sometimes? Well, is there an ego? Well, the guy is worth a billion dollars plus there is going to be ego involved. I get it. But here's the question. Why does he want to, I'd be on a beach somewhere on a 150 foot yacht owning an Island with my ties being delivered to my lawn chair with a tan going on with maybe a, probably a, a one or $2 million robe studded out in gold emeralds, right? Like I'd look like Mr. T on a beach somewhere. If I was worth that kind of money, this dude is stressed out going to Walter Reed with COVID he's on air force one flying from state to state to state and holding these rallies and helping the American communities and the American workforce and the, the, the families of these communities and moms and dads and children. Like, where am I missing this? Like he's not been in office for 47 years. He's been in office for four and has kicked ass. I just don't know why. I, 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 it's got to be mental for somebody to look at that and go, oh, yeah, Joe Biden's the guy for this country. Liberalism is the thing for this country. Socialism is the thing. I'm sitting here going, are you ass nine to think that Joe Biden is going to go in there and do something that is going to benefit our country? That guy has been caught up in so many mischievous dealings and lies. I look at it like, what does it take for you to actually go in and fill in that ballot of saying that that 
Biden-Harris bill is the right one for our future of our, for our kids, our schools, our public education, our public lands. I'm sitting here going, where am I missing this picture, man? That's what I keep asking myself because it's so, it's so evident to me, Nick Munn, it's freaking crazy. Well, and I'm the same way. When I, when I watch, when I watch Joe Biden speak, I just, he just, number one, he seems like a shyster to me. Number two, he loses track of what he's thinking all the time. He can't, he can't even finish a sentence without stumbling and, and moving towards the next, you know, it, I just don't, I just don't think, I don't understand how anybody can see him as the leader of not only America, but basically of the free world. I mean, I just don't understand it at all. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Like I'm talking lies. I could pick that. If I was an attorney, I could pick that dude apart in a courtroom and I'm not an attorney, but I can read body language. And I know you can too. And I'm sitting there going, what, what are you, what are you looking, what are you watching as opposed to what I am watching? What, when I watch Harris speak, I'm like, really, really like you talk about hidden agenda after hidden agenda. If America, if America lets it go that way, which I've been hearing, like, it's going to be a landslide Trump, the, 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 the vote, the poll show. Biden's way out in front. I don't know what to believe in our media. I was on Me. a treadmill that I was on a treadmill last night. I had to put on, I literally had to change channel. I literally just, I'm like, I, I can't hear it anymore. It's like, I know what I believe in. And I understand that we have to, to, to have a voice in what we're saying. We have to go and vote. That's why what Keith Mark is doing and hunt yeah. the vote and Hunter nation. I'm talking 60,000 new votes in the state of Michigan alone. This is a big time state, Florida, yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, where, where, where is this, where is it paying dividends for hunters and gun owners to get out and vote? If you think your vote doesn't matter, it matters more than ever right now. Right. Huge. It's huge. And, and like you said, you know, there, um, there's been, you know, these recent studies that have shown that, you know, like in Wisconsin, there's 380,000 licensed hunters, a hundred thousand of those licensed hunters are registered to vote. And of those hundred thousand, only 50,000 actually vote. And you're talking about a state literally that was like 1500 difference in the presidency last time or something like that, you know, something really a low number. And if the hunters would just turn out to vote in these swing states, man, it'd be landslide victories. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be a, 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 a competition. I mean, it's just going to be a complete landslide if we can get the people to turn out to vote. But yeah, it just blows my mind. I just don't understand. Um, I just don't understand it, man. It just doesn't even seem, I don't know. It just doesn't even seem right to me. Well, it's whacked. One of your best friends in the world is Michael Waddell. In my opinion, Michael Waddell is the best of all time in what you and I do for a living. He's the best hands down in my opinion. Okay. Like nobody could ever argue that with me. I think what you do is genius. I think you're great on camera, but Waddell is like, would you agree? Like there's not ever going to be another Michael Waddell. Well, hell no. No, it's hundred percent. when it comes to, you know, just being, being a speaker, um, getting the job done. I mean, he's, he, he's just really well-rounded and how proud are you of him right now with what you see? He was just on with Foxworthy and Keith and Nugent and last night on American tales, he was speaking in Georgia yesterday or the day before. How proud are you for his allegiance to the country, his community, his kids, his family, his business, his partners, you and T-Bone, like how proud are you to watch him doing that? And he's putting himself out there, Nick. Yeah, no, he's, he's the best. And 
you know, he, he's just one of those guys that you can, you could put him on any stage in front of any, any amount of people. And he just comes up with, with the right things to say that makes sense. And he knows what people like him think and want. So, you know, when it comes to like rural communities and and what rural people think and, and, um, what the people that basically like follow bone collector are people. He, he's a, a great spokesman for those people because he, he is those people and that's where he comes from. You know, he doesn't come from money. He comes from a little podunk area in Georgia that, you know, he didn't grow up with any money. His dad was a construction worker. Um, Michael himself was a, um, you know, he, he got a heating and air conditioning degree out of high school and did that for a while and, and worked with his dad on a construction crew. So he knows, he knows, our type of people. And you just don't find anybody that's, you know, that's as well-spoken as he is. He's, it's just phenomenal what comes out of his mouth to me. I mean, he's like you say, there's nobody, there's nobody that's ever been like him and there will never be any, anybody like him because he's on all fronts. He's just a a great person. Um, You know, he's a great dad and he does, and he does great things for the industry. And, and uh, you just won't ever find anybody like him. He's, he's phenomenal. Have you gotten to spend any time in camp with him yet this year? I've been watching you guys. It seems that you've been hitting and missing a little bit where he's here and you're there. Have you guys got to hook up at all yet? Yeah, we, we hunted together in Utah um, for mule deer in August, and that was fun. We just were up there in the, in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, and um, it was just kind of nice. We got to, you know, we get into some pretty deep conversations, but we also just kind of let go and just laugh and have a good time too. So, um but coming up here in the next week, we're going to be going to Kansas together. So that'll be really fun to get to share camp with them. T-Bone will be there with us too. And um, it was kind of funny, just a kind of a funny, funny thing. All of us come from, um, you know, a, a middle-class type background. Um, and we all have um, basically like um, trade degrees. So I went to barber school. I'm a barber by trade. Um, I went to barber school in 1992 and then I cut hair basically all through the years I was working for Realtree. I would, I would, uh, guide, guide or film in the, in the spring and fall. And then I work in barbershops in the summer and winter when I wasn't hunting. And, uh, Michael, um, is the same thing. He went to trade school and was a, a heating and air conditioning technician. And that's actually what T-Bone did too. And so T-Bone, when he went to, when he went to heating and air school, he said he got about a week or two into it and he knew that he was never going to use it in his whole life, but he didn't want to disappoint his parents. So he finished the school, you know, and it's funny. Cause like we'll tell people about this in our seminars. And when, when T-Bone got out of school, he knew um, that he was never going to do it when he got out. And so I always tell people that the only, the only unit T-Bone ever pulled was his own. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we all come from a we all come from a trade school background. None of us have any formal education. You know, we're all just bullshitters by heart. So, but very skilled hunters and gatherers. Right. right. Is, Mike, is Michael Waddell a good hunter, Nick? Yeah, he's a very good hunter. Yeah. Are you sure? Because you guys have the power of editing. You guys. Yeah. You guys no, could just be good. pulling the wool over our eyes. Does he really know there's, how to hunt? There's no better. There's no better turkey hunter in the world. I mean, he, if there's a Turkey out there and, and, uh, he's going to get it killed. You know, he's, I'd put Waddell up against anybody when it comes to Turkey hunting and he's good all the way around. Elk hunting's a great elk hunter. Um, I think he's, 
I think he has um, taken his knowledge of getting turkeys killed and moved it over to the elk hunting side of it. And so he's always getting it done in the elk woods. You know, he loves elk hunting and turkey hunting are definitely his two favorite. But when it comes to whitetails, same thing, you know, he gets it done. Um, I think what sets good hunters apart uh, from others is closing the deal when you get that one shot. So you go on a hunt and you're five days in the mountains. Um, you get a four second window to range, draw and make the shot. Um, I think that's what really sets people apart is just being able to get the job done in the short window of time, keep your senses about you, keep your emotions in check and execute a good shot. Um, especially in big game hunting. Um, I think that's what sets good hunters apart is on a hunt, you get one opportunity and you can get the deal done, you know, whether he's at 20 yards or 60, you know, just being able to seal the deal is, is huge. The next generation is huge. Waddell getting his kids involved. They both had great hunts last week in Georgia. You have kids. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're approaching what we call midlife. You and I are getting into our mid forties. T-bone just turned 50. Waddell's 47. I went on a hunt on Saturday. It was opening day, California, Nick. Canada's closed. Usually I'm in Canada this time of year. Ducks came in. I called the shot. We were successful. Had a kid in there, had a, a veteran in there, had a police officer in the blind with us. Um, dog brings it back. I didn't even grab the duck. It was down there. They looked at it. They put it on the strap. And I'm like, man, am I losing like my my desire, like usually I'd be like, Oh man, look at Mallard's like, I had to, ke I had to check myself, Nick. I had to be like, man, you know, this is what I'm here for. You know, quit thinking so much about the angle and the shot and the color and the, the editing and the post-production and the sponsors and the content and the Instagram and the selfies and this bullshit that it's just rigmarole after rigmarole of what me and you do. Do you find yourself ever do that? I see these pictures you take, like a certain angle, the horn, you might have your little tag in your hand, in the palm of your hand that and you'll tease people like, hey, checked out, tagged out in Utah today and then come couple hours later you might put the g2 and then an hour later you might show the whole rack right like it's really cool that you're doing that are you still giddy nick do did this year start off like as giddy as it did when you were 25 when that taxidermy was first starting to get done for you when you were cutting hair and you had that burning desire to be a good hunter now you're a proven badass hunter you make money on tv you're all over autograph lines and billboards and ads and commercials and you're nick munt i mean do you still get giddy like that little kid on christmas eve wanting to open a present before santa comes or the candy store on a sunday after the movie theater do you still get like all like just so fired up or do we are we going to start losing it now that we're almost 50 nick nope not me man i love it i uh probably to a fault i still love it um i'm super excited you know every hunt i go on i'm pumped to get up in the morning i'm typically the first one up in the morning and um you know, get coffee on and, and get ready to go for the day. And, um, you know, probably for me, the best part about it all is after you kill, you know, is just spending time with the animal. I know it sounds kind of morbid and kind of weird, but, um, I love, I love the, you know, three, four hours right after that you get, um, you know, you keep reliving. And, and the great part about it is you get to spend time with, you know, you're with the camera guy. So you get to share that with somebody. And, uh, sorry, I got to plug in. So after the hunt is over, um, 
I like to cut them up, cape them out, you know, and then it just seems like every 10 minutes, you know, you just high five whoever's there with you and you say, God, that was awesome. You know, I just, I just love that feeling. And to me, it's, it's literally like the greatest drug um, in the world is just that adrenaline rush that you get right after the shot and the success of getting it done. And as a bow hunter, you know, I do some rifle hunting too, but I'm a bow hunter at heart. And as a bow hunter, just to get, you know, an arrow into something and know that you're successful is just a super cool feeling. And I just never get tired of it. And, you know, before, before every, every hunt, I, you know, get all my gear ready and get everything ready to go. And I'm always nervous after, before that first day, because you're kind of in a new location every time. And you, you're wondering if you have all your stuff together. The first day is always kind of, of a fiasco, but I just still love it, you know, as much as I did when I first started doing it. And to me, it's just uh, the greatest feeling in the world to get it done, you know? And so I don't think I'll ever lose that, to be honest with you. I don't think I'll ever lose the the drive to get out there and, and get it done. It's just uh, something for me that ever since I've been a little kid, um, that walk up, you know, after you shoot and you walk up and get your hands on that animal. I mean, that's what it's about for me. I just, I'm more about the animals. You know, some guys are about the gear. Some guys are about their equipment. You know, T-Bone's a big equipment guy. You know, he's all into the bows and, you know, he's, if his bow is just, shooting an inch off or something, you know, he's going to be tweaking on it and he's going to be weighing his arrows and making sure they're all the exact same. And, you know, all his setups perfect. That's not me. I, he sets my bow up. I shoot and shoot and shoot. Um, but I'm just not as into the gear side of it as I am the animals. And so I think that's kind of what each one of us has. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. He T-Bone loves the animals. He loves to hunt. He loves to shoot. But as far as for him, you know, I think he's he's more in tune with his gear and and uh, you know me at the end, I I like to I like to 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 have my hands on the animals. So I typically, if I'm in camp with T Bone, I'll cape his deer, um, I'll cut it up for him, um, and and anybody else in camp for that matter, you know, I'm out there with my hands on him, getting getting that job done. Um, so that's kind of what it's what it's all about for me. It's all about the animals, and I've just always been an animal nut. So. You know, even if it's somebody else's deer, I like to get my hands on them and help out. Will you have that same gratification when your kids are harvesting an animal? Are you seeing that right now when they catch a fish and knock over a can and they're they're going on their first hunts now? <clears throat> Do you feel that same exuberation with the next generation? Because that's a big part of what you yeah. and Wadi and T-Bone are doing. You're showing the next generation of hunters the right ethical, compassionate way to pursue and harvest wildlife you get them close you hone your skill set you don't take unethical shots you don't disrespect the animal you don't poach you don't break the law there's a right way to do this and it's going to be a hunter that gets this privilege revoked someday if we're not careful so you guys have a huge responsibility so with your own kids and talking about keith mark and hunt the vote and politics and donald trump and the campaign and the election coming up we got to think about these next generations and the message that we're sending out there and how important that is. Right. So you being giddy right now and you having all of your skill set honed in and your gear in your bag and you just pretty much called T-Bone a nerd on this podcast, which I will let him know that he's a geek. Right. And I love him. But you just called him a, 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 a product nerd, a gear nerd, pretty much, which that's you got to have those guys. You got to have like I look at a Benelli and I, I geek out for about five seconds and then I'm like, I, I'm all about the car. 
calling. I'm a vocalization guy. I want to call. I want to trick yeah. them. I want to get them close. I want to communicate with them. That's my thing, right? Um, yep. But I do like being with the animal after and the butchering and the processing and all the cooking and all that preparation of the bounty. But what you're saying is you have all, me and you get fired up. We love it. Yep. But now we have to take a back seat of like what's important now. We still have to be an individual and love it ourselves and promote it the right way. But now we have to feel that same love and exuberation for the next generation and our kids and my daughter and your sons and daughters. You know, am I making sense in saying that? Yeah. Well, and, and, our, and our son, Jack, he, he shot his first deer a couple of years ago at the muzzleloader right out in the back here. I've just got like six acres and then there's about five or 600 acres of timber behind us that another family owns. So it was cool because this, this field back behind our house is just really tall, head high weeds. So we borrowed, we borrowed Jack's grandpa's tractor. He mowed the plot. He, um, we burned it. He disked it up. He planted the seed and then we shot it. They shot a doe with his muzzleloader, um, out of this food plot that he did all the work on. And that was really cool. We haven't got him a buck yet. We've hunted a few days the last couple of seasons and haven't got him a buck, but, um, He's really wanting to shoot one with his bow. So I'm hoping here in the next couple of days, these deer just haven't been moving good here yet. Um, and the last four or five days have been super cold. So I'm hoping to get him out to get him his first deer um, with a bow in the next few days. And, and the great thing about that is there's no expectation of size. You know, he just wants to try to shoot a buck and that'll be great. And he, and I've taken him turkey hunting the last three springs. He's shot a turkey basically his first time out the last three springs. So, but yeah, it is important to get these kids into the outdoors. And there's so many kids now that are just, hung up on video games and watching TV and they don't want to go outside and they don't, they don't play outside. I mean, when I was a kid, man, I was out just after daylight. I was on my bicycle. I was down at Spearfish Creek. We were spearing fish, catching them in nets, you know, catching them with the fishing pole. We were shooting stuff, BB guns. Um, if we weren't shooting at animals, we were plinking around with cans in the yard. Um, and so it's just a lot different. There's just a lot more, you know, digital type stuff that kids are into these days. And, and, um, you know, I think, I think most of the guys that are avid hardcore hunters, their kids are definitely into hunting. Um, but you know, it's a big responsibility for us to get these kids out. And, and, um, you know, my own kids are, are, are key. And like I said, hopefully in the next couple of days we'll get Jack out and I think we'll be able to get him a deer with his bow here pretty quick once we get out and get going, but, um, we're just losing kids. And, and, and also a big part of it too, is, you know, in a lot of the Western States, you got to be 12 to hunt. And to me, that's just too old. Um, they changed it in South Dakota. There's a, there's a, a deal where you can shoot when you're 10 now, a mentorship program and same, same here in Minnesota. Um, but I still think that's a little bit too old, you know, in the South, what else kids all killed their first deer at five, six years old, seven years old, you know? I run into kids at shows all the time that are seven, eight, 10 years old that have already killed eight or 10 deer and turkeys. And, um, I know in New York up until a few years ago, you had to be 16 to even, to even hunt. That's just too old. Now I think it's 14, but that's just too old. I agree. My nephew's nine. We were looking at pictures the other day at three, his first two squirrels with a pellet gun, <clears throat> six, his first redhead that he called in and killed with a 20 gauge six and a half 83 yards with a 22 250 sitting in his uncle's lap but he squeezed the trigger and did everything and this last week and he goes out on video predator management section that we're doing for a for a online deal ar 
223, smokes three on video all by himself. He's nine years old. So you can't yeah. tell me you got to be 12 to go out there and do it um, ethically, legally, you know, and, and have the strength to hold a gun. If you have the right mentor, which is huge in what we do, because me and you might take that for granted because I had mentors my whole life growing up in the outdoors, whether I was hunting, fishing, or being in the mountains or learning mountains or how to read a map or, or any of that stuff. We, we learned that, right? So I, I watched my nephew and my daughter. She got her first duck in February on the youth hunt, and she's hooked. Now it's her turn to go out coyote hunting this coming weekend on Halloween weekend. She wants to go predator hunting. I never thought in a million years my little baby girl would want to go coyote hunting. And it's, I, it's, it's a little competitive with Chase, but she really likes the calling app aspect of animals she likes vocalizing with animals and i and i love that so i love i would love for some of her friends to catch wind of that and have their parents be like hey you know um you know they were asking me for wild game meat during covid so now it's time to get these kids involved in hunting so they can go out and live off the land themselves right so i don't know i I think that the discussion is like tenfold with us is like the passion and the love for it then you got the political side of it and the protection of the rights then you have the ethics part of it then you have the passing it down in the mentorship part of it to the next generation and all of that combined i mean we're living this every day it's a job in itself with just the stuff we're touching on here of you might not be getting paid as a mentor to be to to hunt or paid to go vote for the right privileges in life but we got to look at this, man. We got to run this like a business. And I think what Keith Mark is doing, and you know Keith, and you know what Hunt the Vote is, and 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 Hunter Nation. Where do we take it from here? How how important is it for you now, knowing what we just talked about? These next four years are just the beginning of it. We have to get the ball and the seed planted right now. We can't let up, right, Nick? Yep, that's right. No, it's uh, it's huge. We always talk about it. You know, when we when we go and do events and, and, uh, speak, speak at places. It's really important. And, and one of the things we always say is that you need to take somebody new, you know, that's never been in the outdoors, whether it's a buddy of your kids or a kid down the street that comes from a single, single family, you know, single parent home. Um, it's just really important to get them into it because there's just so many distractions these days. And, and it is tougher these days to find places to hunt, you know, um, when I was growing up, it was pretty easy to go knock on a door in South Dakota and, and go hunt. But nowadays, you know, it's a lot tougher to find and public land has got a lot more hunters on it. And, and uh, you know, it's not as gratifying because people, people watch on TV, these deer coming in and getting a shot. Well, then these kids have to go and they have to sit for five, six, seven days at a time. And then they don't get to see any deer and they don't get a shot and they can get discouraged, you know. So TV's made it a little tough on them, too. Um and then another one of the challenges we face here, like in Minnesota, is, you know, I mean, we're already seeing it. it when, when hunting season comes for kids for deer season, it is freaking cold, man. And so I took Jack a couple times last year um, in November during the hunting season, and it's 10 degrees out there. You can't, you know, a, a 10-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid cannot sit that long in 10 degrees. I don't care how many clothes you got on them. Um, it makes it a, a challenge in this country, you know. But um, I just think getting kids involved and, and keeping them involved and, um, you know, and it doesn't even have to be hunting, shooting bows in the backyard, plinking around with a pellet rifle, teaching them gun safety, all that kind of stuff is important. And um, it definitely starts at home and, and, you know, doing what you can do to get new people involved is key. Agreed 100%. I appreciate your time, Nick. I think that we're on to something here with, uh, with the little – 
maybe once every month, every couple months, you come on and just shed light on on our audience. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that's great, man. I I appreciate you having me, and I always hear you guys talking about Traeger and cooking all this fun stuff and all that. But I've I've honestly I've never used a Traeger. I think I've eaten. I think I've eaten maybe just a few pieces of meat that people have cooked on them in hunting camp here and there, but I've never used one before. Tell me, tell me a little bit about it and how kind of how it works. And I just don't know anything about them. Uh, they're like a convection, you know, convection wood burning smokehouse really is what they are to where a lot of the things you hear on them, you don't need to flip the meat and you don't really because of the convection, but I'm a meat flipper. Um, the new models, the power, the power units are so a meat flipper. You don't like that meat flipper. That's a new one for T-bone meat flipper. You could give them that one today. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, you could add super smoke to it. It's got two different power sources that run the auger and the heating element. So gets hot, stays hot. All the new models get to 505 degrees. So I do a lot of reverse searing on them and all the different flavor profiles with the pellets, um, you know, cherry or alder or pecan or whatever you want to use. But I do everything on there. Like I do all of my wild game on it. I do all of, uh, I put vegetables on there. I put desserts on there. I put breads on there. You could bake in there. You could do pies. Um, we do peach cobblers in there. So, I mean, I, I have video and photos, Nick, of every tray full and um, I, I, I love them. So I, who does Waddell and you and T-Bone use? Do you guys, are you teamed up with anybody? For cooking? No, um, you know, Hooray, Hooray has a, has a, a grill company. Um, but theirs is, it's not, it's not like a Traeger. It's more of a traditional, um, put the coals in it, you know, and then, and then it's got a tray that goes up and down and, it's a high dollar unit, but I mean, there's, there's no other grill like it. I mean, it is super cool. Um, but, uh, you know, I see you, I see you guys on there all the time. Um, you know, um, Mendez, um, Dudley, you know, I see you guys using the Traeger a lot, but I just have never, I've never used one. So I just wanted to get your, you know, looks well, like, a, know. looks like a cool setup. And from what I've heard, you can cook pizza and everything on it. The pizzas are amazing. Pizzas are good. Roll your own, roll your own, make your own dough, your own sauce, wild duck pizza. We do so many wild game pizzas, it's unbelievable. You know, I'll, I'll take a bunch of ducks and, and, and grind them up and, and process them into sausages or pepperoni and, and use them on there. So, like, I use, we use every bit of the wild game we kill. Like, right now, when I get off this podcast, my brother's got mule deer that was just harvested this i don't know this week or last week by by a guy that lives really close just gave us some back straps we're having mule deer caesar salad i mean every day we're eating wild game two or three times a day so fish or wild game i'm in and it's awesome on the traeger that's cool man love it yeah we need to why i i if you I could introduce you to the guys over there. I don't know if Mendez or Dudley or any of them have, but I, I, I literally, while we were on this podcast, got a text from their VP of marketing. If you ever want an introduction to get one and try them out, I'd love to hook you up with those guys and, and see where it goes. It's up to you. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love, to, right. I'd love to try one sometime. It looks All like right, a good way to cook. We love to cook around here, so. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, I've yeah. taken enough of your time. Hunt the vote. Hunter Nation. The election. It's coming. What Keith Mark and everybody's doing. Watch. Tells. Can you hear me, Nick? Did I break up right there? Yeah. 
American Tales oh, coming up good. with Michael Waddell and Ted Nugent, Jeff Foxworthy, Keith Mark, and others on the Outdoor Channel. You guys will not be disappointed. It's funny as heck. I got an inside peek at it. I know Mick has too. Follow Nick at Nick Munt on Instagram. Bone Collector at Official Bone Collector on Instagram. Outdoor Channel Sunday nights. They are in season 12 or 13 just like we are in their show. Kicks ass. Watch every episode like I do. Nick, any closing words? No, man. I just really appreciate you having me. You're you're a great advocate for hunting and hunters, and keep up the good work, man. I I enjoy following you on Instagram, and I don't get to see many TV shows because I'm on the go so much. I don't get to sit down and watch, but uh, I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be here. So thank you, very thank much, you, brother. my Hopefully man. We get to share a hunting camp. I'm going to put it together. I'm going to put it together, and then you need to get on Waddell to return a message and, and get out there. <laughs> hey, might have to leave him at home. You never yeah. know. We'll just me and you'll go. <laughs> hey, Sounds did you watch amazing. that? Li- did you watch that link I sent you? I did. Yeah, that was cool, man. Did you like that Brent Cobb stuff? Yep, yep, that was cool. All around NWTF and all the different people you had on there, man. Yeah, that was good. I liked it. You bet. All right, cool. Even though there wasn't a lot of kills, it was still good TV. Yeah, and Brent's cool, man. He's he, he can jam. I love it. Oh, cool. isn't he awesome? His new album's amazing. I don't know if you got any yet, but get it if I you haven't. I gotta get it. Yeah. Keep them on their toes. All right, everybody, that's Nick Munt. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. You can follow us at the Foul Life TV on Instagram or thefowllife.com. Info at thefowllife.com if you want to provide us any hunting information or questions or info at thislifeaintforeverybody.com if you want to tell us what you thought of Nick Munt today or request another guest or topic or theme for the podcast. I'm Chad Belding, your host. We are going to go out with a song today by my buddy, Leith Lofton, called What's She Going to Do When the Money's All Gone? Thank you, Nick Munt. Thank you, Bone Collector. Talk to y'all soon. We're all equal. That's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth and don't make a dollar bill all this world. Cause I'd rather be poor